welcome to Not Safe for Publication, a podcast about the lighter side of humanities research. I'm Anna. I'm Althea. And I'm Nai, a first-year environmental history PhD student. I'm looking at peat bogs in early modern Lancashire, known locally as mosses or mosslands. Would you like then to share how you got to be an environmental historian? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a reasonably funny story because I was working as an administrator over in the psychology department at this university and I came in early to do some early modern reading, as you do when you're an administrator at the University of Manchester. And as I was crossing the road to go from the library to my job, I bumped into my MA supervisor and she told me about this opportunity and I was very excited by it, so I applied, and the rest is history. Some of you may have met environmental historians and therefore wondered how they got that way. to talk a little bit more about your project I know it's early days but what kind of things are you particularly interested in or you plan to look at absolutely so looking at the Lancashire Mosslands predominantly chat moss which is an area of peat bog to the southeast of Manchester the project itself is actually a case studentship in partnership with the Lancashire Wildlife Trust which basically means that they partnered with the university to offer this studentship in environmental history and then it was like an advertised opportunity which I applied for I'm looking at the Mosslands between 1500 and 1800 which obviously is a massive time scale and so there's a lot of sort of narrowing down and working out where exactly I fit but there are three key themes that the Wildlife Trust and the University have identified that they definitely want me to look at. They are the history of commons management, the history of human caused particularly pre-industrial landscape change and then finally peat which I'll talk more about later, I'm sure everybody's very excited for. Looking basically at the use of peat as a fuel source, especially with regard to the move towards fossil fuel use in the northwest of England, because there's a lot of questions about why the northwest became the first industrial region in inverted commas, as my undergraduate supervisor John Stobart called it. And there's potential that the reason that the northwest was so quick to adopt fossil fuels was because they already had experience with peat quite interesting so what got you interested in bogs quite a niche thing yeah it is definitely a very niche thing I definitely if you'd have told me I was going to be a bog historian after I finished my undergrad I would have been surprised however they are amazing places to be honest with you I could have gone my whole life without ever thinking the words Lancashire Wildlife Trust but having been there and having gone out to the Wigan Flashes and other wetland landscapes they're really amazing places they're really important for wildlife especially insects the species of butterfly need them and also the species of birds uh, wetland landscapes are very very useful for I've also got to have a hand in a lot of ongoing conservation work, which is really fun and really exciting to see. The Wildlife Trust are doing a lot of really interesting work on Little Walden Moss in particular, where they're looking at rehydrating the ground and trying to get these landscapes to produce peat again after industrial-scale peat extraction has caused them serious damage. So what kind of conservation work have you been doing? Is it field work or is it more social media so I've not been involved in any field work yet, okay. and I think that if I was to be it, it'd be in a voluntary capacity rather than, you know, as a condition mm -hmm. of my studentship. But the Wildlife Trust are really keen to get me engaged in things like public engagement, because they've had problems with people vandalising the mosses and people not really understanding how useful these places are. You vandalise moss. 
how do you vandalize moss? Because I'm thinking of a guy with a can of spray paint. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how you vandalize moss. But I mean, one way of vandalizing moss, I suppose, is industrial scale peat extraction, where the peat gets extracted and used up to the point where the bog actually ceases to function as a bog and so stops producing peat. But I will have to ask about how you vandalize moss, unless yeah. that might be top secret information. So, I mean, yeah, probably they don't want you to know in case you yeah, decide in ca- to in case I, Yeah, in case I turn. Yeah, oh, wow. in case like, you turn. Like Anakin Skywalker of bogs. Well, could you tell us what is peat? So peat is effectively rubbish coal. So because soil gets very waterlogged, when plant matter decays, because the water means that there's not enough oxygen in the soil for the plant matter to decay fully, it kind of gets into this half-decayed state and then gets compressed and pushed down. And that, of course, changes the acidity of the soil at the top, which means that certain plants can't grow on it. So you get a species of sphagnum called sphagnum something, which basically sits on the surface and then which becomes the prime contributor towards further peat as that sphagnum decays. So, three favourite things about bogs. My three favourite things about bogs... The first one is definitely that these are places between water and land and they have a really unique place in the mindset because they're very much liminal spaces and so I'm very interested in how early moderners saw mosslands, in particular how that changed over time because towards the end of the period in question you get the ideology of improvement and so the mosses perhaps stop being places of use where you can extract peat and burn it for just for your own family and start being seen as these disgusting dangerous places second favorite thing is that they are massive carbon sinks basically what that means is that because the plant matter hasn't fully decayed it hasn't released the co2 that it's absorbed over its lifetime as it would usually if it was burned or just decayed naturally and what that means is when peat is extracted and burned the huge amounts of co2 are released and peat bogs are very useful for taking co2 out of the atmosphere and so stopping seeing the mosses as these useless gross wastes might be really important for future conservation work yeah sounds like you were describing kind of where anna and i got lost when we went hiking one weekend well basically there was this hill but it was full of water. And so as we're climbing this hill, there's all these streams of water coming out. I'd never seen anything like that. It was just amazing that there's a hill full of water because the water shouldn't be going up. That's exactly (laughs) what happens. So basically bogs start with a lake and then plant matter starts to form on the top as earth fills in. But then gradually, as the bog swells, it actually rises above the surface of the original lake and then eventually above the surface of the surrounding land. And so you end up with these massive swollen bogs basically which lie way above the surface of the surrounding land so the hill was a bog so the hill was a bog exactly and in the early modern period before extensive drainage projects and improvements projects began most bogs were, were huge in existing conservation work they actually have poles which indicate the height of the bog in its original form before drainage began and these are like four meter high poles so it can be really difficult to envisage actually what these bogs look like at the time they could also burst you get very dramatic bog bursts like the one on chat moss in 1526 tell us about that that sounds amazing so it's basically when usually after a period of rainfall yeah like massive rainfall the bog overswells and then bursts and so loads of peat and water comes rushing out it's like a volcano kind of like a volcano but it usually like out of the side rather than a massive explosion out of the top so it like kind of vomits itself out yeah exactly it kind of vomits itself out and allegedly the chat moss bog burst of 1526 resulted in effluent being spotted as far as north wales we don't know whether that's true but these are dramatic landscape changes that really do change literally the lay of the land it does sound gross 
That sounds amazing. There is nothing it's gross so about cool. bugs. This is exactly what we're fighting. Sorry. No, um, it's like this hill full of water that explodes. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> I contest your definition of cool. You always do. But what happens when it explodes? Does the CO2 get released again then? No, so the CO2 doesn't necessarily get released when it explodes, although some of it might because of the disruption of the peat that already exists. But the CO2 isn't trapped as a gas. The CO2 is absorbed by the plant matter, which then decays and is only released in large part by burning or full decay. If you imagine coal, for instance, yeah. when coal gets burned, the CO2 which had been absorbed then gets released into the atmosphere um, whereas it wouldn't say if you just cracked open a piece of coal. What do you know about bog bodies? <laughs> Not much about bog bodies okay. because unfortunately bog bodies are outside of my period. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, most bog bodies were sort of, well, the, they're all, the only interesting bog bodies are the Iron Age bog bodies, mm -hmm. the ones from literally millennia ago. Yeah. You're just starting your first year. Yeah. What are the things you're most looking forward to? What are the things which you think will be most challenging? Mm. I'm really loving starting to write again. Putting complicated concepts into short sentences is just a real joy. I'm really enjoying that so far. I'm looking forward to continuing to do that. Well, then you'll absolutely love doing your PhD. <laughs> the one thing that I've noticed so far, and the thing that's a slight concern, is balancing admin time with research time. Obviously I came from being an administrator here, so, and you know what I mean, you hear academics complaining about all the admin they've got to do, and I'm like, oh, I do admin every day, what are you, what are you complaining about? But it really does eat into your research time, because it throws you off, and you get yourself into a mindset of doing research, and then you do like an hour of admin, and actually it takes like two hours out of your research? Yeah. Which is quite frustrating. So I'm thinking of ways of balancing that. And I think one way of doing it is to get all the sort of hard work out of the, the way in the morning and then leaving the afternoon when I'm a bit tired and drained to do some admin work. That's an amazing idea. What I did was I just ignored it until I had to take like two weeks to do admin, which is a legitimate way of doing it. <laughs> That's certainly a way of doing it. It's certainly a way of doing it. We can say that. We can say that with reasonable confidence. I think certainly there is quite a lot of concerns around things that you need to do that you wouldn't necessarily think about, like when organising a fieldwork and doing ethics, Althea. Uh, yes, um, that's always fun, but you guys don't have to do that. You don't have any ethics. Well, I'm not sure, because I will be doing quite a lot of work with the public alongside the Lancashire Wildlife Trust though, so it's complicated, but there is a serious public history element of my project, which is sort of getting people interested in bogs again, or getting people interested in bogs, shall we say. Can you tell us about a time when people were interested in bogs? Well, certainly. I mean, in the 16th century, when people were going out onto the mosslands to cut peat to keep their houses warm, mm -hmm. um, and then when they had to fight for their right to cut peat, as the Beastie Boys almost sang, sort of towards the middle and end of the 18th century, as enclosure started to take common right away from people, people had to start looking for alternative fuel sources. You know, the bogs were serious, important places. We do have to think about making people want to conserve things that they don't love. And, you know, we joke about it, that bogs are these, you know, icky places, but these are really important landscapes. You know, e even ignoring all of the heritage work, just ecologically speaking, these are really useful. They're like massive carbon sinks. And if we keep destroying them, then we're gonna 
give ourselves serious CO2 debt. What are the dangers, the main dangers to bogs now? Development work by miles. So basically, because it's quite easy to drain, uh, people that want to develop moss lands can just drain them and then all the peat starts to dry and then crack and then decay properly because the decaying plant matter now has access to oxygen so if it's left out and just decays naturally then all the CO2 that was built up over thousands of years gets released. The second thing is industrial scale extraction so you know we talked about sort of small scale extraction with rural communities going out onto the mosses to cut peat just to keep their own homes warm but you've also got things like Little Walden Moss recently has been severely damaged by industrial scale peat extraction for fuel and fertilizer and so yeah those are the two main problems. And existing bogs have had the hydrologies interrupted by industrial extraction, sometimes near to the site or historic industrial scale extraction. And so some of the really interesting work that the Wildlife Trust is doing is on how to rehydrate these bogs um, to get them producing peat again. Just to go back to some concerns about the studentship, I'd say that another one that I'd been worried about is that because this is a collaborative studentship with the Wildlife Trust, I was kind of worried about having to deal with sort of competing interests, you know, pressures from the Wildlife Trust on one side and then from the university in the form of my supervisory team on the other. But I've got to say that's not been a problem at all so far. I think the communication lines have been really good so far and everybody's on the same page, which is really encouraging because uh, collaborative studentships are going to be an increasingly important part of many universities' research strategies going forward especially when it comes to things like eco-history and museology that certainly seems to be the case and also institutional history. Yeah exactly uh, it's basically places where historians can engage with the real world whatever that is. This the is the real world what is fake about this world? <laughs> <laughs> Wait this is the real world? Oh man I should have been thinking about my decisions so much more. I thought this was the game one. Well, I mean, you, you can walk into work at noon, but... Um. <laughs> yeah, what's real world about that? I mean, it's not majority world, but it is real. What is real? <laughs> Bugs. So we will encourage our listeners when they stop listening to this to think about bogs in their life and to tell the bogs in their life how much they love and treasure them. That's the thing. That's the thing, because bogs are super underappreciated. So if you know a bog, or you know someone that knows a bog, spread the word, because bogs are great. There was a really, really funny situation when I and I were walking somewhere and there was a sign saying bogs 2019 and I got very, very upset about not being invited to bogs 2019. It's an absolute travesty. What was it? Was it like a nightclub rave or was it a conference? It was the British Organic Geochemical Society annual meeting. Okay. And I saw signs for it and I just had visions of, you know, my supervisory team, all my favourite bog historians, you know, Ian Rotherham, Angus Winchester, all, you know, laughing, joking, rubbing shoulders, you know without me and it would have been awful but fortunately that that wasn't the situation no i did massively overreact to it <laughs> did not overreact i thought that i thought that the bug people were having a party without me no it's never a party it's a lecture and if you are included i mean my supervisor got told to go to a lecture at one of our meetings and he's just like i hate this lecture but show my face show support and like y you don't want to be invited to things but free food well, if free there's no food you don't want to be invited to the lecture yeah but i'm sure i'm sure like bogs 2019 like i mean that's gonna be a riot yeah 
if you are a member of Bogs, we do apologise to you, but also write in with how it went. I'm also quite annoyed because Bogs 2020 was going to be the name of my student union president candidateship. Really? Yeah, Bogs 2020. You're running for no. president of student union? No, it was a joke. I thought so. I mean, you have to take a year out to do that. Yeah. Any more challenges and things you're looking forward to? Besides being president of the student union? Besides that, no. No. Well, actually, yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to, really. I'm really looking forward to... Bogs 2020. Bogs 2020, which I can't wait, which I'm definitely going to get myself on the list for. I'm looking forward to going to more research seminars, hopefully presenting at the PGR research seminar at some point this year. Possibly looking to attend a conference this year, but it's kind of tricky. Uh, I'm not quite sure. BGR history seminars, by the way, to those of our listeners who do not know, are run this year by Jamie, who was a guest earlier this season, and our own Jess White, and they are fortnightly meeting for historians, but also other members of Salk BGR community to talk about their research. Yeah, basically, if you're from an obscure discipline, usually the historians will adopt you and tell you to crash their events, so... We are trying to build a community here. We um, appreciate it. That lunch was good. So, you're going to tell us some anecdotes about bogs. I, th th well, this isn't actually a bog anecdote, to my but shame. Okay. This is a moss anecdote. Well, that's fine. I do have a Moss anecdote. So this isn't actually part of the work I've been doing for the PhD. This is sort of a separate research project, which I've been involved with for Quarry Bank Mill, looking at historical forms of sustainability, basically, and sort of environmentalist history as well as environmental history. So Edward Hobson is a botanist in Manchester from the early 19th century, whenever that was, and he's obsessed with collecting moss. And he just loves it, lives for it. Is he wealthy? He's not wealthy. That's, oh, this is the thing. He's a weaver. A... He's pretty poor. Wow, uh, he's certainly working class. He produces these massive volumes full of moss specimens. His ambition basically is to collect every species of moss native to the British Isles. And so he does this by taking long walks up to 40 miles out of Manchester and back, and also through maintaining correspondences with Scottish botanists and swapping samples with them. So he's very active in the uh, Manchester... Bog community. Natural History Society. I don't think it's actually called the... I think it's called the Manchester Philosophical Exchange Society, I think. And he's very active in that. And he's also maintaining correspondences with muscologists, who Ooh. are moss specialists, from around the country. So he maintains a friendship with this man called Crother, who <laughs> claims to have found a rare species of moss. And he sort of takes Hobson out to find this moss out on Tatton Mere near Nutsford, for those local historians out there. And they get there, and the mere's, the, the mere's swollen so much that the sample's three feet underwater. So Hobson gives up, and he goes out looking for more specimens, because that's what he does the whole time. Meanwhile, this old guy, Crowther, jumps into the water and gets the moss out. And that is the funniest thing to ever happen on or near a bog. You heard it here first. So... Nai, thank you very much for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Alfia, thank you for co-hosting. Oh, you're welcome. Always there to keep things reined in sensible. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Not Safe for Publication. Don't tell your supervisor what you heard here. What happens on the podcast stays on the podcast. Not Safe for Publication is a podcast made by and for humanities researchers at the University of Manchester. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at NSFP Podcast or get in touch with us by email at nsfppodcast at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is Hat the Jazz 
by Twin Musical. <laughs> 